to the town hall with Senator Rachel May. My name is Dustin Zarni on behalf of the United Democrats. And we are here uh, to help in these times of COVID, being able to uh, help our candidates get out there and talk to you, the public, about uh, why they're running for office, how you can help them out. And this town hall series has uh, started to expand, and we're going to be doing a lot more of these going into the uh, into the November elections, and I'm very happy to have a re our representative for the 53rd Senate District, uh, New York State Senator Rachel May, joining us today. Senator, thank you very much for coming on to the town hall. Oh, thank you for inviting me, Dustin. I'm happy to be here. Well, uh, you've been very busy over your uh, 18 months now, uh, maybe 19 months of, of being a senator. Um, in, in, in a very busy uh, class of uh, you know, a lot of legislature. You are on a lot of different committees, so, but why don't you tell us your background, how you got into this race, why you ran to become a senator, and, uh, and, and, and what you were hoping the job would be versus maybe what it is. Well, so I never was in politics before. I did a lot of campaigning and working behind the scenes, but I never ran for office before 2018 and never really thought of running for office. I'm, I'm more of an introvert and this wasn't kind of my dream, but I felt that it was really important that we have somebody representing this district who was really committed to democratic not just democratic values, but to advancing democratic legislation. And I didn't feel that that was the case before. And it was important to flip the Senate. New York is a blue state and for almost 70 years had been controlled, the Senate had been controlled by Republicans. And that meant that we had some of the worst election laws in the country, as you know very well, and some of the worst election participation in the country, partly as a result of that. And on dozens of other um, issues, we were lagging way behind even states that were not considered blue states. And I felt like it was time we made that change. And so I ran for office. I will say I was so busy just running at the time. I didn't, and I didn't always think I was going to win, so I didn't think a lot about what the job itself was going to be. I was more focused on on getting that blue wave rolling. But it's turned out to be my dream job in a lot of ways. It, it I sometimes wondered if I was even qualified for it because I'd never worked in politics before and wasn't a lawyer or anything, but it turns out that my background as an academic, as an educator, and as an activist have all been really valuable to uh, both the day-to-day -day work where you're learning new things every 15 minutes or a different group is coming in and trying to explain something to you, and as a lifelong learner, I'm pretty good at picking up what the issues are, asking the right questions, and then trying to figure out how we solve the problems that people are bringing to me. 
but I also have just felt that uh, the team that I've been able to work with both on my staff and in terms of my colleagues in the Senate been so inspiring and being able to uh, be part of that has just been the ride of a lifetime. And you uh, got some really great committee uh, uh, placements, I felt, um, that put you at the, uh, the center of some of the major changes that have happened even recently and uh, you know, over the whole session. Because as you mentioned, you were talking about election reform and you got put on the elections committee and this Senate, along with the assembly and the governor, um, but this session, has been a total sea change for elections. And uh, you've been right at the center of that. It's been really exciting. Yeah, I mean, Zellner Myrie, who chairs the committee, talked about us going from worst to first. And I don't know if we're first yet, but we are certainly not the worst state anymore in terms of uh, now we have early voting and we are, uh, we passed automatic voter registration just recently. We have a whole range of things that we've done to make it easier for people to participate. Yeah, I, and uh, it's been, uh, you know, I've come to testify in front of you several times and, and, and the Senate has been very uh, um, reactive to what the commissioners need, but also what the voters need. Uh, you know, you, you've, uh, pushed us as commissioners in, in boards of elections, but also, you know, that worst of first that uh, Senator Myrie talked about, um, the New York State Senate really has done it. And you've done more than just early voting and automatic voter registration. We got constitutional processes starting with same day registration and no fault absentees. And boy, thank God we did that because now absentees is becoming such a huge part of the election process. Right. Yeah. And that one, um, we also just passed a temporary bill, essentially, so for the upcoming election so that we can once again have uh, everybody can vote absentee, that the pandemic is basically your excuse to vote absentee. We really needed that. We couldn't change. It's, it requires a constitutional amendment to actually go to something more like universal vote by mail. We couldn't do it this year, but we could definitely do set it up so everybody can vote absentee who wants to. And you are also the chair of the aging committee, and you just had a major uh, hearing on the nursing home issues that have happened in New York during the this COVID crisis. Um, and again, you know, you've been placed at the center of this, and you're uh, you're investigating and and work. How, talk about how. Um, how that work is going and, and how you know we are learning some lessons that we can uh, move forward with. Sure yeah the aging committee has been an interesting one it's not a committee where a lot of legislation goes through that committee because if it's something about nursing homes it goes through the health committee uh, or you know other things like about elder abuse might go through a legal committee so what I've done as chair of aging has really been focusing on some of these broad issues on advocacy for seniors when it comes to the need for more home healthcare workers and how we build that workforce up or oversight, how we make sure that nursing homes are delivering what they promise, that kind of thing. So, you know, it, there's these hearings have been 
very instructive to me. We spent a long time questioning the Commissioner of Health and also talking to people who work in nursing homes, to people who have family members who died in nursing homes, to people who run nursing homes and uh, assisted living facilities, and to be able to ask them questions and really get them explaining the ins and outs of what was going on is really important. But you have been very involved in legislation outside of that. And, uh, one, and uh, uh, this seminal piece of legislation that is, uh, almost, I believe it's first in the nation uh, legislation on the fracking uh, ban and, and dealing with that um, and, and the uh, waste that is coming from outside the state. Um, we'll talk about why that bill has been so important and why, I mean, it, you're getting a lot of kudos from across the nation on that. Yeah, so it, that was very exciting. The governor signed it on Monday while we were in our hearing and everyone speculated that he was signing a bunch of bills so that there would be something else in the news other than the nursing home hearings. It was a little frustrating that it was all going on at the same time. But this bill it was a long time in the making. It was about the issue, so New York isn't doing fracking, but we have been allowing fracking waste to come into the state, primarily from Pennsylvania. And fracking waste is full of radioactive elements. It's full of other things, some of which we don't even know because the chemicals they inject into the ground in order to get the gas out are, some of those are proprietary so that, um, there, but we know there's a lot of really toxic stuff in the waste from fracking. But the oil and gas industry has been very successful over the years in making sure that regulations favor them. And one of the regulations they got put in place back in the 80s was to um, forbid the regulation of waste from oil and gas drilling as hazardous waste. So the state just had to basically accept it and it was going into uh, landfills or they were even using it in place of road salt um, to melt snow on roads because it's very salty. But, you know, then as soon as it rains, the, that all those chemicals are going to run off into the nearest waterways. So this is a real problem. And even though the state had restricted what could come in and there were you know there's less and less coming in I actually saw a report from the Department of Environmental Protection in Pennsylvania that showed that waste came in to Syracuse in April wow. of this year and so it became that much more urgent that we passed this bill at something that the the executive had said oh we've already taken care of that we don't need the legislation but all of the environmental organizations rallied behind it. There was a ton of lobbying of uh, me to some extent, but they didn't, we had passed the bill last year. They had to lobby the, the assembly pretty hard to make sure it got passed there and then leaning on the governor to make sure that he signed it and he did. So it's a real victory. It's very exciting. And another uh, victory for Syracuse and also, you know, just the surrounding counties, you know, Onondaga County um, is the STEAM school, that you were uh, a, a seminal part of getting that piece of legislation uh, passed uh, and delivering for the citizens of Syracuse, which 
you represent most of the city of Syracuse. There's a small, the De Francisco Peninsula, the redistricting uh, that comes into the north side of Syracuse, but you represent almost all of the city of Syracuse. Talk about um, how hard it was to get that STEAM school uh, legislation and funding passed. Yeah, that took a lot of work, but it was a huge priority for me. I, I'll tell a story about my background. My grandfather was a civil rights activist who started uh, fighting against McCarthyism, and then he became part of a real movement for desegregating the schools in Los Angeles, where he lived. And I went out and spent a summer with him when I was 13 and helped him put together the first map ever of segregation in the Los Angeles City School District that was then used in court cases. And it shows up in history books now about that whole process. And so for me, school segregation has been something that's been on, in, on my radar pretty much my entire life. And so, when I started learning about the idea for the STEAM school, I think Steve Swift explained it to me first, and this idea that we could create a, essentially a magnet school in Syracuse that would be the, the only school of the arts in the whole region and would bring students in and also the STEM disciplines and it would bring them in to really do career-oriented education that's the kind of thing that young people really want right now um, that idea that we could renovate this beautiful building and use it as a way to attract students from the whole region into Syracuse and maybe make it the first chink in the armor of how segregated our districts are and finally get our kids in Syracuse studying alongside kids from the suburbs that 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 became a really personal issue for me. I sort of did it for my grandfather and I pushed very hard and I, I really leaned on people as hard as I could. And honestly, to get $70 million put in the budget this year for a, a project like this in Syracuse was, um, up until the very last minute, I didn't really think it was gonna happen given, I mean, even then we had budget woes now we have even bigger ones but even then uh, there was a pretty big deficit we were looking at and nobody was getting new money put in the budget and i was so proud that we managed to get that through and that kind of led me right into my next question here and in the, talking about the extreme fiscal crisis that the state is going to be in um especially since it looks like the Senate Republicans in the United States Senate are just intransigent and not providing any funds to any uh, uh, governments uh, that are uh, being hit by this COVID crisis. Um, this is going to be a big challenge for the next, uh, you know, session and the and 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 even this current session. Um, why don't you talk about your feelings on that? It's it's going to be tough, right? It's already tough and it's going to get harder, I think. We have, um, uh, wh however you measure it, 13 to $20 billion hole in the budget now, and that's just for this year. And um, what the executive has been doing is just withholding any money they could possibly withhold, even contracts, all kinds of things are not getting paid. 
money that was promised in 2017 or 2018 is not getting paid out. And so we're seeing especially nonprofits in Syracuse and all over the state uh, really struggling and uh, furloughing workers and just generally, I'm, maybe people saw the article, the letter from the um, volunteer lawyers about how important their work is right now and the state is not paying them for work they've done in the past even, let alone for what they were expecting this year. So it, it's really, really hard. School districts could get hit. So one of the things that I'm doing is pushing very hard to make sure that we raise revenue in other ways. We can't just cut our way out of this uh, because that's going to mean lots of layoffs. It's going to mean uh, it's going to hit the, the middle class and people with low incomes the hardest. And so I have a bill for that's a millionaire's tax, a multi-millionaire's tax. Basically, it's for if you make five million dollars a year, ten, a hundred million dollars a year. There are new brackets in the tax code, so that we would raise more money from the very wealthy, some of whom have gotten a whole lot more wealthy in the course of this pandemic. There are also bills to tax Wall Street transactions and very high-end second homes in New York City and that sort of thing. And, and, you know, if we put them all together, I can't really plug the hole in the near term necessarily, but in the longer term, we can, it could make a big difference. And we'd be making our tax system more fair because right now the, the very wealthy are, are, are getting away <laughs> with a lot and, and the middle class is being taxed to to the nth degree through property taxes and that sort of thing. And um, it's just, and then sales taxes hit lower income people. So it's just, um, you know, it's all upside down right now. And, and we need to be clear about this. You're not looking at raising a tax on, you know, normal everyday people. We're talking about people who make well over uh, 5 million, you know, almost 5 million or more a year and also uh, luxury second homes. Um, th these are the types of items. We're not talking about m the people that are, you know, most of the people in your district, you know, except for a hyper small percentage of people that have been getting more uh, resources during this uh, crisis and over the last few years from the federal government that, uh, you know, and, 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 and now need to help us get through this crisis now. And to be honest, it wouldn't be taxing anybody from this district. The, uh, the people who make five, ten, a hundred million dollars a year uh, live downstate pretty much. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's, um, it's really about asking them to pay their fair share. And we have groups. There's a group called the Patriotic Millionaires that gets on press conferences and Zoom calls with us all the time. And they are all about this. They say, we, we are doing fine. We need to carry our weight. Um, I'll also say one thing about my bill is it's one of the very rare situations, especially with a tax bill that it has bipartisan co-sponsorship. I have oh, one great. Republican who's co-sponsored it. Yeah, so, and, uh, a lot of most of the Democrats have co-sponsored it as well. 
Well, we're here with uh, New York State Senator uh, Rachel May. Uh, she's part of our town hall. She's our town hall guest. We're going to move to some questions from those that are uh, participating in the live Zoom. If you want to ask a question, type in the chat that you'd like to ask a question, and I'll get you on the list. Or uh, and if nobody asks questions, I got a few more for you, Senator. So, and we're going to try to go about an hour here today. Our first question is from Sam Gruber. Sam, I'm going to unmute your line. Uh, you may have to unmute it yourself as well. We're good. We go. okay. yeah. Can you hear me? Yes, Hi, we can. Sam, yeah. ask your question. Uh, well, Rachel, you actually covered some of it, but I'm going to shift it a bit. Um, my dog is barking. Yes. Um, when you talked about the fracking bill, because I was so excited to hear that. Um, and, and I mean, to see that come through and get passed, uh, because with all of the attention because of the coronavirus and the budget crisis, and also all of the attention in the last legislative session about voting and some of the other immediate uh, issues, it seemed as if environmental um, action was being, if not pushed to the side, at least it wasn't in the spotlight anymore, and we weren't hearing a lot about uh, movement and progress. And I know before your election, we had talked a lot about chemicals, pesticides, fracking waste, things like that. So I was glad to see that things were still happening. And I wondered if uh, you could just give us some sense of where other environmental uh, legislation and initiatives are now in Albany. Uh, and as part of that, I just signed a letter, uh, a statewide uh, letter from scientists and academics uh, urging the pension fund to divest from fossil fuels. And I wonder whether the fossil fuel industry, and I wonder whether you had an opinion on that and whether there was legislative action um, involving that uh, and whether, I'm not even sure it's a legislative decision to ask the controller to do that, uh, but, but that's something that I think we definitely have to uh, move to and support more, uh, we, we're hypocritical if we're putting in these environmental things in place, but if we're still putting um, millions or billions of investments in fossil fuels through state funds, so. Great, yeah, thanks, Sam. Good to see you, good to see all your books back there. <laughs> well, it's just, <laughs> right back it's just one room filled, you know, but I. <laughs> um, so we've actually done a lot on the environmental front and a lot, um, of course, we passed the Climate and Community Protection Act last year, which was a very big deal and has turned out to be really important. I think it was the reason why the governor uh, nixed a new pipeline for um, natural gas. It, he, he cited that bill as the reason. So it's been having the desired effect and the, the climate uh, Action Council has been meeting and um, I think they're taking it really seriously. So I, one thing I've learned in my short time in office is that we can pass all the bills we like, but implementation doesn't always happen. And you've got to keep an eye on it. You've got to really pay attention to that. And I, honestly, I think to the extent possible in the cir current circumstances, they're, they're taking that one really seriously. But we've passed a number of other things that are kind of surprising in terms of, these are 
they may have flown under the radar some, but, but they're really important. So just last week or two weeks ago, we passed um, a ban on using Roundup on state property. You know, I don't know if the governor will sign it, but it's a big deal to, to ban uh, specific herbicides and pesticides like that. We did one last year with chlorpyrifos, which was a carcinogenic um, pesticide that's been used a lot in, in um, agriculture. And there you get a ton of pushback from the chemical industry and from the, the agricultural industry. And you know, lots of people are unhappy about this. People who are, have a lot of money and are used to getting their way and all of a sudden they're not getting their way in New York. And what's happened is we passed the chlorpyrifos ban and I don't even know if the governor signed it, but the, but the company that made it said they were withdrawing it from the market. So, you know, you can have a real impact just by getting it out there and making, making clear that this is something uh, we don't support. Now with the, Divestment. I'm in favor of divestment. I think a it's it's a, such a volatile industry as we saw during the during the spring that it's just not a good investment for you know, especially long-term planning and people's pension funds, and it's also um, rises to the level of an industry that is so morally. Um, indefensible given that the big oil and gas companies have known for decades what the what the actual global impact was going to be of their business model and they have not only gone full steam ahead with their business model but they've done everything in their power to uh, confuse people and make people not understand the climate science and you know disbelieve it so um, I think they don't deserve our our investments, and they don't they don't deserve our support in, in, at so many levels. I have gotten a lot of pushback about this, especially from the public employee unions, which um, depend on those pensions to be there for them, and they don't want anyone taking uh, power away from the comptroller to make the wisest fiduciary decision about how to invest them. Who has, you know, slowly been shifting away from fossil fuels, but not, he's, he's very resistant to the idea that we would actually legislate about that as the unions are. So that's, there is a bill. Um, I think it's got a lot of support, but I, I, I think this may be another one where we, by virtue of taking it up and talking about it, we make it more likely to happen, but it may not happen specifically by legislation. Thank you, Sam. And uh, Senator, we have another question. Um, if you want to, if you're listening to this on the Zoom call and you want to uh, ask a question, uh, type in the chat uh, that you'd like to ask a question, I'll put you on the list. Our next question is from Sandra Smith. Uh, Sandra, I am going to unmute you, and uh, you can ask your question. Uh, you may have to unmute yourself as well. Unmute. Okay. There you are. Hi, Rachel, uh, and everyone. Um, 
I wanted to ask you about, um, we, we got rid of cash bail in New York State, and the Republicans are using this as a real uh, hammer. Um, I noticed that uh, Katko is using it against Dana Balter, that she, pour, she supports this. Um, is there any data on how many horrible crimes have been committed by people who were not kept in jail with, you know, poor people who couldn't afford uh, bail? Is there any data that's being collected on this? Um, there probably is, but what you're hearing in the in the media is totally anecdotal and usually not true. So for example, I'm getting hit on social media right now for having supported bail reform last year. And there's this case of some purported gang member who was released from jail and then went on a rampage. And um, it turns out it has nothing to do with bail reform. This is usually the case that it has nothing to do with bail reform. He was in jail and he was bail eligible. It wasn't like we had gotten rid of bail for that, for what he had done. It was that um, the witness who came forward then recanted and there was nobody to testify against him. And so they had to release him. Nothing to do with bail, in fact, um, I was in an event with the, the DA a few weeks ago, and he went on and on about how all the, um, a lot of the violence in the city is the result of bail reform somehow. And so what we did, we did not get rid of bail. We got rid of bail for um, misdemeanors and nonviolent felonies. And then this year kind of clarified specifically what we mean because some, especially some nonviolent felonies turned out to be things that people thought were pretty violent, like, like leaving the scene of a fatal accident or something like that was considered a nonviolent felony. So we clarified that some, but um, the idea is that people get to go home and prepare for their trial at home and keep their jobs and stay with their families and not have the huge disruptions that happen if even one night spent in jail can transform somebody's life for the worse. And uh, the statistics that I've seen, and I haven't seen them recently, but as of February, I think it was, it was already something like 20,000 people have been kept out of jail in New York State because of our, of our law. And I see that as, as a victory in general because we're not using jail as a way to just warehouse people until, until they have a trial. So people who have not been convicted of a crime um, and we're not taking them away from their lives for that period of time. But during a pandemic, to be keeping tens of thousands of people out of jail is a really positive thing, because you think about how easily the, the virus has spread in, in, among incarcerated populations. That, that is really important. So I feel like I mean, it's something I'm proud to have supported last year. I was kind of disappointed that we 
that we had to you know roll it back to some degree this year but in general the um i think the overall effect has been very salutary for our whole society thanks a uh, I have a question that somebody uh, typed, uh, didn't want to ask it, so I'll just ask it. Uh, um, but uh, the question, uh, Senator, was about broadband. And uh, you have um, an access uh, to high-speed you know, high internet. You have a, 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 a district that goes from you know, really urban, uh, poor areas, some of the most uh, poverty-stricken uh, areas, to the rural areas of Madison County. And, it, and, it, and what they have in common is uh, bad access to um, internet and uh, broadband access. And now when we're going to virtual schools, um, the, you know, and, 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 or hybrid learning situations, this is really exasperating the problem. So uh, what, what can the Senate do? What can you do to uh, help uh, these citizens out with, with this problem? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's been a focus even before the pandemic, we were very focused on it. Eric Vandervoort, who's on this call, it's my uh, legislative director, and this has been a particularly important project for him. Um, right, so you're ex actually ex exactly right that uh, there are neighborhoods in Syracuse where people don't have access to the internet and there are entire towns in Madison County where people don't have access to the internet. They're for different reasons, typically. It's just the broadband isn't, doesn't exist in some of the rural counties and people can't afford it in some of the urban areas. But either way, it, broadband is a, it has become a necessity and it is something that I, I believe we should be regulating as a utility and not just leaving it up to private companies to, um, provide or not provide. We had a hearing about it last fall that was, as far as I know, the first hearing about rural broadband that had been held and it was really powerful. We got a huge amount of important testimony and it's not just kids studying, you know, doing school remotely. It's people processing transactions at their farm stands or trying to use cloud-based technologies for better um, farming practices or any of these things. If you don't have access to the internet, you're not part of the 21st century economy. And so I have a bill for um, about municipal broadband, which is something I think probably is the solution that we need to be moving toward allowing municipalities to set up their own broadband systems partly because they can do it much more cheaply and partly because they're, they're, they'll have that goal of connecting everybody, which the, the private, you know, the big telecom companies don't have. And uh, I'd say that's the main thing that I've been working on in this area, but in general, just, you know, advocating. One of the problems we have is that the governor put a lot of money into this about four or five years ago and kind of has claimed that that's done as far as he's concerned they've taken care of the problem and what came out in our hearing last year was it is so far from being done that honestly the democrats and republicans in the senate this is something everybody can agree about i i feel like one of the things that makes me hopeful during this pandemic is seeing 
even though I have this very diverse, geographically diverse district with constituencies that have been completely not communicating with each other at all for a very long time between urban and rural, between us across some of the racial divides, all of a sudden some of those barriers are breaking down and this is one of the ways I feel like uh, every part of my district cares about this issue and that makes it a whole lot easier to push to, to make change. Uh, thank you, Senator. Uh, we, our next up to ask a question is Mary Dunn. Uh, as I unmute her, I'm going to remind you if you want to ask a question, just type in the chat and uh, we'd be happy to have you uh, uh, ask a question. Oh, Mary, are you there? Great. You, uh, yeah. Mary, yeah. you're on Senator May. Okay. Um, Senator May, thank you for doing this. Um, I have been more and more impressed over the past two plus years um, with your your performance and this is more on the the personal side because i'm wondering what's been the biggest challenge or maybe the the biggest surprise um you know as a freshman senator for new york state that's a great question i um let me think where I would start with that. <laughs> so right now, what I'm realizing is it's really hard to do two jobs at the same time and do them well. So having to be a senator at a time when people really, really need my advocacy in that role and also run for office is really, really tough. And I find it's, it gives me a lot of anxiety and I sort of have, have come to the realization that the main thing I'm doing to run a campaign is trying to do a good job as a senator. <laughs> if I do a good job as a senator, then that's, that should be the best way to get reelected. But it's, that part is really hard. Um, I mentioned early on that I'm an introvert and I have found um, the, just the, constant interaction with people it's less so now that we're we're more isolated but last year my staff really learned that oh we we can see she's like starting to zone out we have to get her a 15 minute break where she's she can just stare at the wall for a little while and not be in a crowd of people <laughs> so learning how to pace myself that way has been um a, a bit of a challenge well brava <laughs> Uh, the biggest surprise, I think, is what I mentioned earlier on, is discovering that the tools that I brought as really an outsider were the tools that were needed in a lot of ways. I just had a conversation with somebody this afternoon about this, that um, being an academic by training, I my inclination is never to open my mouth unless I really know what I'm talking about, like I've, like I've written a book about it or something, and you don't have that luxury in in office you're i'm lucky if i get briefed for 10 minutes before i have to go on the news and talk about something you know and so getting over that anxiety about that but also getting better at doing that has been really important and um and discovering that 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 i can do that and that uh, I, I still am able to do it without just spouting talking points all the time. 
<laughs> but that that's been it's been a surprise and a, a kind of a pleasant surprise to discover i can still be me and do this thing that i'm being called on to do which is really not what i was in. i know of a lot of people who are impressed we're sending you psychic energy all the time <laughs> <laughs> well i can feel that so one of the things that i mentioned uh, in this conversation this afternoon was um one big surprise to me, and I shouldn't have been surprised by this, but I was, is that the, the way decisions get made, the way, the way people in office make decisions is we'll have some bill and we know nothing about it and, and you get a, a memo of opposition from the chemical industry and then you get a memo of support from the League of Conservation Voters. And that's all the information you have. And coming out of academia, I feel like, okay, I've got the advocates on either side, but what about, what about all of the middle part, like people doing disinterested research about this? We never hear from them. And so I have a bill that I would love to get passed at some point to actually create a legislative research office, essentially, that would, where we could ask them, you know, give us something more than what the advocates on or the lobbyists on either side are going to give us to so so we can make decisions on the basis that's, that's, that's a great idea i mean facts i think you almost really? have to come from academia into politics in order to say look this is <laughs> there's something missing here and um I, I don't think most of my colleagues even recognize that it's missing thank you mm -hmm. Thank you, Senator. Uh, uh, I, I believe uh, Sam Gruber has another question, but before I get to him, I'm going to uh, ask, remind you that if you uh, want to uh, speak, please, please uh, type into the, um, into the chat and that you'd like to speak, and I'll, I'll put you on the list. Sam, you're on again. You have another question? Well, I said only if there was time, if there was nobody else. So, um, uh, I would like every to talk time you open your mouth, Rachel, <laughs> you come across as so knowledgeable. So I actually have lots of questions, but um, uh, a couple things that haven't been brought up. But I, I know you're very involved in, um, and and particularly uh, locally in Syracuse, the the whole um, uh, uh, issues on on policing and uh, uh, transparency of police and greater responsibility and greater oversight and and uh, accountability uh, so I know that we've had some progress in the legislature already there for greater transparency um, there are issues that have come up locally about whether police can be required to live in this city and there are several other issues that cannot be uh, enacted or so it seems that is the mayor is passing the buck to the state um, are there is are there some things that can be done to sort of thread the needle there to to um, uh, you know improve our situation here I don't want to put you out on the on, on, on the edge there but uh, obviously I, I know there's a lot of talk and a lot of action going on uh, right now and just uh, as an unrelated thing, but dealing with, with the courts and criminal justice, I want to say it was great that I think the legislature passed recently this um, uh, bill forbidding or restricting these slap suits 
about yeah. against and so that was that was really good to that was really good to hear about as well so that's something that probably won't even get into any campaign literature but it's but it's well, really it's important yeah 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 it's a big now deal that's been kind of surprising to me how much important legislation we pass and yeah. you know people don't really notice um pam hunter and i do have a bill that we're uh putting in for um police residency in Syracuse because the city actually does need uh, state authority basically to do that. Um, otherwise we did pass a lot about about police accountability that I think was good to pass. Uh, the a lot of the other things about how the police are funded and everything, I don't, I, those are local decisions that we, the state isn't going to wade into those that I can see. Um, I kind of was hoping to talk a little bit about my day today because it was a pretty interesting day. <laughs> I was going to bring that up. You uh, yeah. had a wonderful uh, bike ride today and, and the Lieutenant Governor came to town. So. Uh, you know, I, I saw a video of it on, on your Twitter feed. You were the, what you tell, you, you get to tell, you did it. You, you, right, you did so it. the Lieutenant Governor goes everywhere all the time, and she's been a couple times to my district in the last month, and I didn't even find out about it until I saw it on Facebook. So I, we reached out to her office and said, next time you come, please let us know. So lo and behold, she was in Chittenango for, um, a press conference about the reimagining the Erie Canal and everybody I want you to know about this the Chittenango Landing Canal Boat Museum which is a pretty cool tourist destination a pretty neat place to go take a tour they also have free kayaks and bicycles you can they're they're trying to promote staycation in New York State basically and using the Erie Canal as a recreational destination for New Yorkers and so you can go there and just grab a you have to register but you can get a, a kayak and kayak along and they'll even set it up so you can kayak down the canal and then ride your bike back or ride one of their bikes back so that was pretty cool going out there during that but we also had a ribbon cutting in DeWitt which is not in my district but doesn't matter it was right there near the DeWitt town hall where the it's a bike bridge now going across 481 so you can get from Syracuse to the Erie Canal and um, I decided since I was going to Chittenango and then going there that I would bike from Chittenango to DeWitt in in the hour that we had in between these two press conferences <laughs> so I, I might have learned my lesson because I got to do it and I was drenched in sweat and I wore my bike helmet for the for the press conference because I'm sort of embarrassed but it was but I got to be the first person to bike across that bridge they literally moved all the cones and everything and let me be the person to go across it so it was a pretty cool thing um, and they're promising to connect the whole way through Syracuse so that we can use the canal those of us who live in the city can use the canal so that's that's pretty great um anyway it was fun it was a fun day <laughs> you kind of touched on this you say dewitt is not in your district but you're kind of pulling double duty right now because our neighbor district the 50th district has been empty since the beginning of the year 
um, and will stay empty until the end of the year. Uh, we'll have an election in November, and that person will eventually take the seat in January. And you know, we all hope that you know, we're all Democrats here. This is a Democratic podcast. You know, John Mannion is the Democrat running for that. And oh, by the way, he'll be here next week. But, uh, you know, your office has actually been doing a lot of constituent service outside of your district to help pick up the slack during this tremendous, uh, uh, you know, crisis that we've had. So, yeah, we have been. Um, I mean, there still is staff in that district office who have been helping people with unemployment insurance and that sort of thing. But this has been a moment for constituent service. Almost, you know, 90% of what we've been doing since March has been constituent service, helping people, especially with the unemployment. And I'm sure we've helped more than a thousand people at this point get their unemployment um, payments, but also small businesses that are trying to navigate the various loan programs or, any number of things. Um, and yeah, I mean, you and I were on opposite sides of this. I really objected to the governor postponing the special or ending the, the special election because I think that district deserves representation, especially now when what happens is, you know, the staff will have some a uh, person who's trying to get unemployment insurance and has just hit every roadblock and there is and my job is to go talk to the people in the in the executive and make sure they know about this problem and try to solve it and if you don't have that person advocating for you you've got just you know you're in a much more difficult position and so i think it's been um done a real disservice to that whole district yeah I, and we've tried to help out when we can the special election was a tough decision. I, I didn't make the decision, the governor did it. I would have done it either way, but I understood why uh, the reasoning behind it more. But uh, I also understand the reasoning behind having somebody in there. This crisis was unfolding at the time. I think it was the best call to make at the time, but now seeing how long this has gone on, uh, not having a representative in there and having, you know, representatives that only served, you know, less than six months before they were running for another office uh, has hurt that district as well. So um, right. uh, let me also say, um, and I know a lot of you know this already, but in the Senate, I'm the only Democrat between Albany and Buffalo. And because being in the majority makes a huge difference in terms of how much your voice gets heard, how much you're able to get done, what you're able to bring back in terms of um, funding, uh, you know, bills you're able to pass, all of that stuff. It's, um, I've sort of de facto been representing the whole central part of the state. It, and um, and I'm really looking forward to having some colleagues from near closer by. So please help John Mannion get, re get elected. And also some of my, uh, some of the Rochester candidates are really terrific too. Uh, we got uh, time for one more question from uh, the, the pool here. Ingrid uh, Gonzalez McCurdy would like to ask a question. Ingrid, I unmuted you, but you may have to unmute yourself as well. There we go. There you go. Hello, Senator May. Hi, Dustin. Good to talk with you both. So I noticed about two days ago, very different um, airplane traffic pattern to the point where I 
it feels like I could reach into the sky and just about touch the planes. There's been uh, a sudden shift. Um, two mornings ago, there was probably about half a dozen planes that went over within the span of a couple hours. Um, it's pretty unusual. I've been working from home during this entire COVID thing. Um, and I've asked a couple of people and I've heard everything from, well, maybe it has to do with the drone pathway or maybe it has to do with the hurricane. So I thought I would ask. So I'm in East Syracuse um, in Fremont Meadows. So I'm on the kind of the intersection between East Syracuse, DeWitt, and I'm in the town of Manlius. So I could probably count the windows on the plane. <laughs> they, were, they were right above the house. And can you tell, are they commercial airlines or is it military planes? It's commercial, yeah. They're commercial, so that's not something that I would typically see, especially at that frequency. Okay, well, I got two members of my staff on this call who I'm sure can reach out tomorrow to the, to the airport and find out what's going on. They do shift flight paths periodically and it may just okay. be but it could also be yeah. the, it could, could be the hurricane. It could be that we're just having more air traffic than we have in a long time. And we've, we've gotten used to the quiet in the air. <laughs> that, that's also a possibility. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, uh, today was at least a dozen and, and pretty low too. So the height is very different from what we've seen before. So okay. thanks for, for checking it out. I don't know if that's Eric or Jessica who were on the call too, but thank you. Well, uh, we're gonna wrap up this town hall and I wanna thank Rachel, uh, Senator May for, for joining us, but I got I have to uh, talk about one last bill that, that has just recently passed that is my wife's favorite bill and that is the boozy ice cream bill that, uh, <laughs> that, that, you, that you were a part of. Uh, and, uh, you know, sometimes we get to do fun things, right? <laughs> and, and so and this has got a lot of press. People are very uh, uh, excited about being able to have uh, boozy ice cream. So <laughs> what was right. that? Right. Well, and there are distilleries and dairies in my district, and it's a, it was sort of a logical fit to have it happen, you know, to be the sponsor of that bill. I'm not sure I expected it to be the one that I would get the most press about, <laughs> but I, I remember my staff saying, are you, are you okay with becoming the boozy ice cream senator? Like, oh, what, why not? So uh, yeah, I'm hoping that we can work it into some, some campaign events in the future. It looks like Gilligan's is working on my favorite, my, what I would love to see, which is maple bourbon ice cream. It looks like they're <laughs> working on that. So that would be good. I would love to get input from people because, you know, we're having to think creatively, not just about campaigning, but right now we've really got to get the word out about the census. And um, I'm hoping, we, I talked with my staff this afternoon about putting together some events that would really reach the communities you can see a map and it's exactly the predictable communities that are under reporting so far in the census um, if we can get some ideas about how to do that and i'm perfectly fine if it involves our campaign providing ice cream 
um, boozy or otherwise <laughs> for events, but I would love people's thoughts about that and uh, just in general. I also, I'm, I'm sort of senator on a bike these days, so planning to do some some events in different neighborhoods on my bike and so any any good ideas people have about that my my sister's making flags with let's say you know senator may on the back and say vote and things like that you can put on the back of your bike so i'd love to have other people join me for some some you know visibility events that are not just phone banking because we're all tired of that <laughs> it, it is absolutely uh uh, COVID-19 has changed everything um, and it's changed, uh, you know, campaigning. That's why we're doing these town halls here on United Democrats uh, for another avenue for people to reach out. So it's very helpful that if you're watching this or you're a part of this, when this goes online on Friday, please share it, share it amongst your uh, friends because it is going to help uh, people see uh, you know, this, and it's going to help our candidates that are out there working so hard. Um, thank you very much, Senator May, for all that you've done uh, for the 53rd District and for coming on and making time. And uh, before you go, hit your website. What's your website? Uh, people got to know where to org, And we have a big phone banking event this Sunday. We'd love people to participate. We want to hit a lot of houses, and we've got a good dialer that makes it you know, uses your time wisely. So rachelmay.org, please go out there and support her if you're in the 53rd district. Next week, we will have uh, the candidate for the 50th district, John Mannion, uh, who will be joining us for our virtual town hall. On behalf of the United Democrats, thank you very much. And thank you, Senator May, for spending time with us today. And thank you to all of you that asked questions. Please go out there, be safe, wear a mask, and, uh, and, and, but go out there and help our Democrats win this fall. Thank you very much. <laughs> Bye. Thank you, Justin. Bye.